the IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. We're your hosts from the offerings team here at IBM Cloud. My name is Ian Lynch. And I'm Steve Choquette. And guys, we are back for the fifth iteration, I believe it is, Steve. Yep, yes it is. It's our fifth episode on everything cloud native. And today we're joined in studio by the very great Chris Rosen. Chris, you're very welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. And today we're actually joined by Chris, guys, to talk around basically everything microservices. So in the previous episode, we had Dan and Brianna in, and basically we talked around the culture shift, organizing their teams, the tools, and all the different requirements that we had for building amazing, great cloud-native applications. But today we're going to rev and change it up a few gears, actually, and we're going to talk around, as I said, microservice architecture. Um, Chris, I've heard this term thrown around a whole load of time, so I'm going to start off with the first question and keep it simple, keep it easy, and ask you basically, can you explain to us what is a microservice architecture? So essentially, it's a way to break down your application into smaller chunks or distinct business functions. And by breaking up your code, it en enables you to then operate each different microservice, each component independently with a smaller squad. So think of eight to 10 co-located developers, allows them to iterate faster. It allows them to scale up or down at different rates and paces and add new capabilities independently of the rest of the microservices in your architecture and allow them to scale and move very quickly. So it's extremely powerful, but I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second that you know the keys to that is all about automation and being able to have insights and auditability and control over who can push updates to those various components in that microservices architecture. So I'm going to back up a little bit, but kind of right where you said uh, you were talking there, Chris, you said that it's important to be able to iterate on each of these microservices kind of independently. You talked about having a team, a squad, and, and off they go. Why is that so important? And kind of how is it different, perhaps, than if you backed up, I don't know, I don't even know that you need to go much farther than five or 10 years back, but why is that different and important? Well, in the old world, and you think of monolithic apps, you had one thing. So in that sense, it was easier because everyone had one kind of lighthouse that they were aiming toward. But the downside was that everyone had to um, work very closely together in making those changes. And it really slowed down the pace of new releases. And you would think it maybe quarterly at best, maybe you know twice a year, sometimes once a year or less for these larger updates. And so obviously that was not very uh, dynamic and didn't allow us to get out software to our customers in a very meaningful way. So now with microservices and especially in public cloud, when we get a request for something that needs to be fixed or some new capability, it allows that team to go off, size the requirement, make that change, and push it out extremely uh, fast and, and much, much quicker than we were able to in the past. So what has that got to do with, the, I, I guess, the tool chain, Chris? And I hear an awful lot when people are talking around the tool chain, especially around IBM, we talk an awful lot around the garage and the garage method. And that's important because honestly, the biggest change when we get into microservice architectures 
is cultural and our people and adopting these new processes to be able to iterate and move faster. And we've gone through things before it was waterfall and then agile and these types of things, but it's really about automating everything, ensuring that every piece of the code, whether it's infrastructure as code, all the way to your actual development, to pushing those updates into production, to having that complete automation pipeline. And whether it's hosted in IBM Cloud DevOps or you're running your own Jenkins, but having that automation in place. So your developers, they're interacting on the left side of that pipeline, the very beginning. They're pushing source code that then triggers some build process. We're creating new Docker images. We're incorporating security by performing vulnerability scanning. And then if that passes, then we can push that change out, whether it's into our dev test or stage or ultimately into production, which is our public cloud environment. So Chris, when I first initially joined many, many moons ago, the cloud organization, I always remember everybody talking about 12 fact, the 12 factor methodology, right? And that's basically defining the best practices for building these modern apps. So are you saying that this has gone away or it's still there? That's the practices that we're still following. It's absolutely still there. And and 12 factor came about when you think about things that were being very lightweight, API driven, um, and that's really where Cloud Foundry came in initially was to provide that ability for developers just to focus on those 12 factor apps. And by just doing a CF push that allowed them to focus again, just on code and let the PaaS platform of Cloud Foundry handle things like deployments and scaling and DNS and things like that. Then as we kind of went along, we realized there were some some deficiencies in that model because of a lack of control of the infrastructure and the compute. And if I'm running in a multi-tenant, I could be running my apps side by side with yours. And maybe, you know, typically the majority of my microservices are private, privately routed only. So I don't need a front side network connectivity for those microservices. So then along came Kubernetes and gave us that ability to give our customers compute isolation, the amount of whether they need bare metal or dedicated compute, but then isolate those microservices and control the outbound connectivity. So that way, again, the majority of those microservices, the various components only talk within the cluster to other microservices, not externally out to the, the front side network. So Chris, then let me throw you a curveball. What if we decided that we weren't going to follow this methodology anymore. What would happen? It'd be just a chaos, right? Absolutely. Chaos, anarchy, all those things. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, we really lose speed of deployment. We lose control over, you know, our ability to really innovate. And we're really kind of, um, you know, taking away the developer's ability to be able to innovate and add new capabilities as, as fast as they can today. So honestly, I think at this point, there's no turning back to the older methodology. And the challenge now is we're all in on containers and microservices and these types of architectures. It's really about the tooling that we need to help simplify and give insights and security and controls to these new types of application architectures. So I'm sort of intrigued by the anarchy part of it. Um, I, I feel like I've been part of those teams. 
It is interesting because you talked about how initially we we had what's like Cloud Foundry. So much of it was taken care of by you know by the underlying platform that the developer didn't really have to worry about things. And then we kind of swung the pendulum a little bit farther back that says, but sometimes you need to care about it. So um, it is interesting just to watch the industry swing back and forth at times. So Chris. Can you give me a couple examples maybe where you've seen microservices in use, but I'm not really looking for, you know, business enterprise type of examples. I'm looking for something that if somebody was listening to this, and I hope a whole bunch of people are listening to this, then they would just recognize it immediately. They say, oh, yeah, 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 okay, now I can tie microservices and what Chris is saying to something I did this morning. So just maybe a couple examples. Sure. So the easiest way to think about a microservice architecture would be any travel website that you've ever been to. And you log into that website and there's one window pane that may have flights or hotels or train or rental cars or vacation bundles. Each of those different panes is its own independent microservice. And each of those teams may be pulling in new data sources, maybe adding new updates to a summer vacation um, you know, option or uh, making changes or scaling out during heavy travel periods or if there's inclement weather that they're increasing the size and number of instances running for a given component. So that way is travelers are looking for updates or looking for new bargains and planning their summer vacations those microservices can scale independently. So when you look at that travel website, each different frame on that window is its own distinct microservice. And each team that owns and operates them do so independently. They can add new features, add new specials, but they all have a common API layer. And that comes back to the 12 factor of allowing them to communicate in a consistent, lightweight manner, but still able to innovate independently of each other. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times you'll have specials and other things like that and they'll come and go and that team needs to be able to do things without caring what's going to happen in August or September or, you know, some later month, you know. Exactly. Just, okay, so um, can you come up with maybe um, – you know, I, I hate the thought we're actually coming close to the end of this because I'm really enjoying it, Chris. But um, can you come up with two things that you want someone to remember? So so we've done maybe, you know, 12 or so minutes so far. And of those 12 minutes, if I only listen to two things that Chris said, what would those two things be? So obviously you should listen to all of them. But uh, number one <laughs> is... You know, we've really not said the words, but we've kind of hinted around this unified platform point of view that IBM has. And it's bringing together different types of compute in one application stack to simplify the developer experience. So in that same environment, whether you want to run containers or Cloud Foundry apps or event-driven serverless, to bring them all together to one platform, one cluster, one place for developers to really lower the bar of adoption. Because today, when you think about those three different computes, they're done in three silos. And as Ian mentioned earlier, it's breaking down those silos. So now as a developer, 
different components of my microservices architecture may require different types of compute. Now bringing that together to simplify that architecture so they can have Cloud Foundry, containers, and serverless in one stack. So that's the number one thing. It's really about simplifying that stack and user experience. The second thing is around, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about microservices and the benefits that come with it, but the reality is there are also new challenges. So in one of the projects that IBM is actively involved in is Istio, and that's bringing, it's an open source microservices mesh project that is meant to be language agnostic, infrastructure agnostic, but giving you in-depth telemetry and insights to your various microservices. You can control mutual TLS, you can control which microservices can talk to each other, where latencies are coming up. So it's a tool, it's a part of the managed service within IBM Cloud Kubernetes service, and it allows you, gives you that insight as you're developing and running these complex microservices architectures. So well, number one would be breaking down the silos, which sounds like a really good title for something. Um, maybe not a band, but you know, maybe maybe an episode or something. And then the other is the fact that because you have all of these microservices running, and now you're talking about a lot, if you think about a web page, somehow or another, there's this juggling of, of communication, right? And everything in between and across. Exactly, and, and you need the tooling, you need that as a managed service. So you as a developer, a development team, you focus just on adding those new specials, those new widgets, not running that complex underlying infrastructure. Right, but somebody's got to kind of do the juggling. You can't, and and that's, I guess, where we're going to get into the next episode. Uh, and while it's going to be, this will be interesting because Dan Berg's going to do the next ep next episode, episode six. So, but we get you, we get you get the opportunity of telling Dan what he gets to talk about because I'm going to ask you. The next episode is about the technologies, and in just one or two sentences, what do you think we'll hear from Dan? Well, number one, you never know what you're going to hear from Dan, but I think uh, I can lean toward it'll be heavily focused around the IBM Cloud Kubernetes service and Istio, some of the things that we're doing there, some of the work that we're doing with uh, Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud is kind of the next um, cluster type under the IKS umbrella. So there's been a lot of work and progress going on there. So uh, I'm sure he'll definitely hit on those areas. So Chris, it all kind of sounds like it's very, very developer centric. So if I was a developer, where do I get my hands? Can I just jump in and play around with this? Yeah, for sure. You can definitely go out, go to cloud.ibm.com. You can find the Kubernetes service. You can deploy a free cluster. You can try it out. You can deploy Istio. You can play with it. You can, you can try Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud. Uh, gives you an opportunity to get hands-on. You can try the DevOps tooling within the platform. Gives you an end-to-end -end developer experience right there in IBM Cloud. Hey, Chris, one one quick question then. So if I was a developer, had 15 to 20 minutes to play around with something, what would you recommend I'd spend that 15 to 20 minutes doing? I would deploy a Kubernetes service cluster, see how easy it is, take a look at the various multi-zone, HA master, different uh, geographies that we support and again because it's a managed service you can then figure out how where your next innovation will come from nice cool Chris again like the last time it was a pleasure having you on the show buddy thanks for coming on and informing us this time all about microservices all right thank you guys 
And guys, as usual for myself and Steve, don't forget to join in for the next episode of Everything Cloud Native. But for now, for myself and Steve, as always, thanks for joining in. See you next time on the IBM Cloud Podcast. Bye.